Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. He is a Thomistic theologian, liturgical scholar, and choral composer. He helped establish Wyoming Catholic College. He is a prolific writer and lecturer. He contributes regularly to a wide array of websites and publications, and author of many books, including the one we're going to talk about today from Sophia Institute Press, Treasuring the Good of Marriage in a Throwaway Society. And uh, Dr. Peter, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on, Deacon. Well, as we were saying when we first uh, connected, you know, you read this book and, you know, people like to use the analogy of warfare, but the spiritual warfare that's going on right now between uh, the society and marriage is is real. And this book really kind of puts it in a nutshell and explains what's going on, but also the beauty of marriage that can and will prevail, at least in the end. Yes, yes, that was my 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 goal was very much to to put a spotlight both on the grandeur of God's vision of marriage as given to us in scripture and and in the church's teaching but also to expose the works of darkness as St Paul says we should do um and and show what's really going on um at the spiritual level and even almost the cosmic level with uh, problems with evils like abortion and contraception um you know these are not these are not simply um you might say errors or even sins but these are um these are are fundamental strikes against human nature and against god's created order uh and they they introduce such huge um distortions and and um and and uh, and um, wounds, you know, and so this is this is what I wanted to get at, both the positive and the negative. Yeah. And you talk about the attacks, you know, whether divorce, pornography, contraception, premarital premarital sex, self gratification, abortion. But what we really see in the world is right. That our society, not only here in the United States, but you know, throughout Europe and and, and a lot of the world right now, is. They have no regard for marriage, right? It's pretty much anything goes. And if you try to defend marriage, right, you become the evil one in their eyes, don't you? Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. And I mean, it. it you know, it sounds very simple. It could be could almost sound simplistic, but it really comes down to uh, two opposed visions of man, two two anthropologies, if we want to use the fancy word, um, one that is that is rooted in the idea of man as the image of God and as ordered to self-gift, as ordered to giving himself to another, um, as as happens within the Trinity itself, the ultimate mystery of reality, but also in all human relationships to one degree or another. Um, and and then on the other hand, the vision of man as self-seeking, self-serving, uh, ultimately um, self uh, self-governed, even you might say taking himself as his own god, um, you know, in an extreme way. And so, yeah, these are the two visions: self-sacrifice and self-gratification. Um, and uh, we we see the consequences of that socially, and the huge, huge consequences that roll out of these two visions. Well, and in reality, when we see what goes on in the world, you know, we had the Obergefell decision back in 2015, but, you know, Pandora's box was open way before that. But 
the arguments are really only false compassion, right? There really is, they have no strong ground. So they use this false compassion and then try to demonize people because, you know, the truth somehow offends them because they've embraced the lies of the evil one. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, it's uh, the, the the living of of the divine law, the living of the of the um, mystery of marriage and family that God has given to to us, as well as the living of celibacy and religious life, which my book Consecrated Life, which my book talks about as well. Um, this requires grace. It requires God's help. It is not something that sinful, fallen human beings can do on their own. Um, and it it and so the gift of faith, by which we see you know, by which God gives us the ability to see the goal and to see the means for reaching the goal. We can never thank God enough for that gift of faith. When we have that gift of faith, it opens up a whole new view of the the world, of man, of his place in it, of his relationships with others, and it opens up access to the sacraments of faith and to prayer, a life of prayer, that relationship with God um, that is fundamental to, I say, to marriage, um, to it being successful. Uh, and if we don't have those things, and you know, if people have rejected them, and they don't even know what they've rejected, they have a caricature of it, uh, then you know, the, the secular world is is going to be sort of lurching and stumbling from one evil to the next as it's digging the pit deeper and deeper and deeper, and then yelling at anybody who says, can I help you out of the pit? You know? Well, and it really is, you know, everything, you know, as you read the book and, and you really absorb it, it really is that growing and that deepening in our relationship with Christ, right? Even if your religious life or your married life, we can't live in a relationship in a vacuum without Christ because inevitably it'll fail because he is the love. He is the glue that holds it together and helps guide us. As you said, from our fallen nature, we have no shot if we're going to try to do this on our own. Yet we live in a narcissistic world that says, do whatever makes you feel good. It's all about you. You know, me, myself, and I are my three favorite people. And you know what? If it doesn't work, just move on. But the collateral damage with children and, and what we see in society is becomes more and more evident every day, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. And, and you know, what, one, thing I, one thing I try to do in this book, it's not a book about the theology of the body, but I definitely use the insights that I've learned uh, from John Paul II, and I cite him in a number of places. But, um, but you know, one of the insights that John Paul II helped us to see, although there are many others who talk about this too, is that when when human beings um, you know enter into a sexual relationship, they are giving part of themselves, and in fact, they're they're giving themselves in a symbolic or representative way to another. And when they multiply that over and over again, as in the promiscuous habits that are characteristic of our society, they're basically shattering themselves. They're, they're turning themselves into a pile of fragments and making it more and more difficult to, to be a coherent self and to give oneself to another in a lasting and faithful um, and, and self-sacrificial way. And frankly, there is, no, there is no successful human relationship, even if you're talking about a friendship or within a family between parents and children. There's no relationship whatsoever that does not require a certain amount of self-sacrifice. 
precisely because we are not God, and we need one another, and we have to we have to work on another's behalf. That's going to hurt sometimes, you know. And so the the idea that that my pleasure, my being pleased, my never having any pain or suffering in my life is somehow normative for me is pretty much the destruction of any kind of 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 healthy relationship. Yeah, and I think, you know, the it's it's not only discouraging because we see what society's doing, but we even see it within the church, right? The church at at some in the hierarchy have bought into the lies of the world. We see it going on in Germany, right? And then we see the Vatican silent on what's going on about trying to bless unions that have no reason to be blessed. Um, So Mm -hmm. it is a challenge. And that's why I think books like yours help keep people on the straight and narrow and, and focused on Christ and on truth and not on to these emotions and this trying to appease the society in which we live, because we see it again, even within the church, it, it makes no sense when they try to enlarge what marriage really is, because what they end up doing is really destroying what marriage really is. Yes, that's right. And I, one thing I point out in a, in a few chapters is the the way in which progressivism works. Uh, progressivism as a philosophy um, related in many ways to modernism and theology uh, is is the idea that the there is no permanent truth to which the human mind has access, but that the truth is always evolving as we ourselves evolve, as our societies and cultures change and our values um, shift, and we learn more and more about different aspects of nature or ourselves, or maybe even just learn different things. It doesn't have to be necessarily more um, than we, you know, our desires, our, our aspirations our models, all of these things are always changing. And if you have this view within the Church, and there are certain theologians and, and prelates who do, then you're going to think that the point of the Church is, is to be continually updating itself. And that typically looks like adapting itself to the secular world. Um, and that's certainly, as you pointed out, that is very much what we've been seeing, as opposed to the 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 um, the traditional view, which is that the Church has received a deposit of faith, has received from God a definitive teaching on God Himself, on human beings, on the sacraments, on their on 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 the ethics, you know, the beatitudes, the commandments, uh, and that we have to gratefully and humbly receive this inheritance and live it. And when we live it, the proof is in the pudding. This is what the saints show us. Well, and I think that's again. Your book really hits is spot on when it's talking about love, whether it's through the priesthood, religious life, or married life. You know, we see when when families and marriages crumble, religious life, the priesthood, and marriages all suffer from that. And so, it really is something that we need to continue to not only strengthen within ourselves. We can't, you know, make other people do it, but we can be models of what we should be doing. But it does remind yeah. us the evil one attacks this because these are foundation, right? As marriage goes, so goes the church and so goes society. Exactly. Yes. And that's that's precisely what John Paul II said, one of his main claims, I would say. And, you know, you mentioned John Paul and theology of the body. We look at what's going on to, the, you know, theology about the institute in, in Rome, in Rome, right? We, we hear mm-hmm. all kinds mm-hmm. of crazy things. It's been, it, it's been knocked to the ground 
and now it's been built on on sand. And we even heard just the other day one of the prelates talking, one of the cardinals talking about, you know, almost there, there's a place for euthanasia. He can kind of understand it, right? I mean, everything's kind of getting twisted even within the church, and, and, and we need to really embrace truth and not buy into these lies, even by, as you mentioned before, some of the prelates. Yes, that's right. Yes, that was Archbishop Paglia on the uh, the the, the um, Pontifical Academy for Life. Yeah, <laughs> ironically. Yeah, uh, which you know, I guess what does what does that mean now? But I think you know your point in terms of love and sacrifice, and the and you know we can't get to Christ except through the cross. Yet we want to try to avoid any kind of pain or suffering, which leads to actually more pain and suffering. But Christ is that model, right? Love is sacrifice. Love is forgiveness. And if we don't look to Christ as that model, we're going to come up with all kind of crazy stuff, aren't we? Exactly. Yes, models models that certainly don't work uh, and that, that break uh, as you handle them. Um, so I, I would make the point that, that I do make the point in the book uh, at, at length that God wanted to teach us about his own love, uh, knowing that when he created us as physical, material beings, as rational animals, we would not be able to see him immediately and directly as he is in himself. That's the beatific vision. That's not the way Adam and Eve were created. That's not the way any of us were created in the beatific vision. Unlike, unlike uh, you know, the angels who, who, the good angels, you know, immediately were admitted to the beatific vision forever. But we have a pilgrimage. We have a path uh, of discipleship that we're supposed to follow. And and so God needed to create for us a model of self-giving, fruitful love, um, self-transcending love, really. Uh, and so he created marriage. He created marriage to reveal something about himself, his love for us, our love for him, ultimately Christ's love for the church uh, and the church's love for Christ. So marriage is is in itself... It, it's, a, it's an institution with civil and social benefits and personal benefits, but in itself, it's also an image or a likeness of something that transcends it, something that's much greater than it. And so marriage becomes the means by which God teaches us about, about, our, about his own love and about the love between Christ and the Church. And that's what the celibate priest who stands in, in the person of Christ that's what the consecrated virgin who stands in the person of the church, the Immaculate Bride of Christ, that's what they first learn from. So the health of priestly and religious vocations depends very directly on the health of marriage as that image. Does that make sense? No, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And, and it really does remind us that, look, we're not going to be perfect models, but we have to try to model that. In our own, we're not going to change the world by just yelling and screaming at people, but we'll change the world by being a model of what marriage looks like or what a priest looks like or what a religious should look like. And so we have to focus in on ourselves and our relationship with Christ, right, to provide those perfect models, because in the end, right, people are going to realize they've been sold a bag of fool's gold when mm-hmm. everything yes. starts to crumble in upon them. And if we don't work on our own marriages and our own vocation, uh, religious vocation, and be a model, and not, not to say, hey, look at me, but to grow in love and holiness, people will be attracted to that light that we've been called to be at our baptism, right? That's right. That's right. And I think you, you make a really good point when you say that, 
you know, not, none of us will be perfect in modeling whatever it is we're trying to model. So the, the husband will not be perfect in modeling the sacrificial love of Christ for the church. The, the wife will not be perfect in modeling the Immaculate Bride of Christ. You know, the priest will not be perfect in, in modeling Christ's love for his church, etc. We know that. Um, what we have to, but, but we, we have to strive. We, we've been given the, the tools, you might say. We've been given the means by which we can um, credibly and humbly and reliably, you know, strive uh, to to do what we're supposed to do to emulate those great models um, and to internalize them, to be, you know, to make them the principles from which we act. Um, and I think that you know one of the tragedies of 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 human life is that although it's never too late for God's mercy, and there have been many deathbed conversions. It is possible for people to really wreck their lives, you know, to have to have a sort of trail of disaster behind them, you know, and, and wounded people, and, and you know, and, uh, because they've made so many bad decisions. This is part of the mercy of God in giving us His law, in giving us very clear teaching, and in giving us His grace. He doesn't want people to make a wreck of their lives. And, it, and unfortunately, you're right. And the collateral damage is real. And, you know, we see also, you know, the attacks on marriage, but really the attacks on the patriarchy itself, right? And the attacks on men. And, and unfortunately, men have bought into this stuff, right? They have not stood up and been the St. Joseph, right? We have the, we have the, again, the perfect model of the Holy Family. Um, but we have, you know, let society dictate that men need to, you know, take a back seat and all this crazy stuff mm-hmm. that we see men in dresses when, in magazines. Yeah. We have to be yeah. the provider, the protector, and the leader of the faith, right? And how many studies yeah. have we seen that if dad goes to mass or goes to church, then the, the percentage of the kids that will follow is huge. But if he doesn't, then it drops right off the table, Yes. Yeah. No. It's it. You're you're absolutely right. Those statistics don't lie. Um, you know, I have, as you know, I have a chapter in the book about all about fatherhood and the the vocation mm-hmm. of fatherhood. And in that chapter, I spend a lot of time with the help of Gabriel Marcel, who was a wonderful Catholic philosopher of the 20th century, somewhat neglected nowadays. Um, he lived at the same time as Jacques Maritain. But uh, Gabriel Marcel wrote very perceptively about fatherhood and what makes it different from motherhood. I mean, he, he says, among other things, that motherhood seems to come more naturally to women than fatherhood does to men. Uh, and that's because motherhood is, in a sense, almost more internal and more built into women. They, they carry the child in their womb. They nurse the child at the breast. You know, they have such a visceral full body, full emotional experience of parenting. And fathers have a more removed role. I mean, even, even in the conception of a child um, and in the, in the rearing of, of children, you know, they're, they're kind of there on the spot. They're, they're there on the side, or they can seem to be, you know, in the wings, right, um, watching and looking on. And Marcel says, you know, part of the, the way that a man has to conquer himself is to really... Um, deliberately give himself to his fatherly vocation and be the the dad, be the husband who steps up to the plate, who does what is required, who thinks ahead of what's going to be required, you know, and is that protector and provider uh, of for his family. Um, and that's definitely not what of uh, what contemporary society is presenting to us. You know, contemporary society 
is so shaped by by the false assumptions of feminism that um, where feminism has sort of surreptitiously taken men um, and not even men at their best as models for women. So now women are trying to be like alpha males um, and, you know, in, in all kinds of jobs and, and neglecting their, what they're, what they're actually created by God to do, which is to give and to nurture life. Um, and then meanwhile, men are, you know, allowing themselves either to compete um, in that in that marketplace uh, in a sort of ruthless way, or just to stand in the wings, you know, and be passive and be, you know, um, just sort of look good or something like that. And th- this is also it's also distorted when when people start to run away from from you know what we call the traditional roles. It 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 just leads to a snowball of chaos. Well, and we and we see the snowball that's that that takes place. All you have to do is read or look at the news or look on social media. It's day after day after day. And and we do again, the collateral damage is real because we look at the total disregard for children in our society. Right. Uh, contraception. We don't want kids unless we decide we want them. We, we abort the kids. And if they come into the world, we decide that, you know, they, we let them decide whether they're male or female. Then we chemically castrate them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the attacks on children. And then we have Biden the other day saying they're not your kids. They're our kids. Right. It's it's almost lunacy what we see going yeah. on out there. It's like we can't see the forest from the trees when we look at the damage it's being yeah. done. And this is this is pretty much a, um, you know, a, a, almost a perfect demonstration of the truth said by countless fathers and doctors of the church and theologians, that if we turn our backs to the truth that God has revealed about man and woman in the book of Genesis, in, in the book of Revelation, in the Gospels, all throughout the Bible, um, if we turn our backs to that, uh, we are basically inviting in, you know, the seven demons. They, they, find the, they find the room swept out and cleared out. There's nothing there. Uh, the seven demons are going to move in, <laughs> and uh, those are all the vices, you know. Um, so we, we see that, and it becomes, as you said, a form of insanity. I mean, that think people are saying things now that don't even make sense to reason, let alone to faith, right? Um, there's no possible defense of either abortion or transgenderism philosophically from the point of reason. We don't even have to bring the Bible into it. Well, which is why you can't get into a debate with irrationality, right? I mean, in the end, what are you debating if something is so ludicrous that it doesn't even make sense, right? There is no middle ground whether a child is born or a child is not born. There is no middle ground as to what marriage is. And so, so, you know, we hear all this, well, we need to have these conversations. No, we need to model what is true and speak what is true and let the other side decide. Because if we engage in debate on, on lunacy, then... We're accomplishing nothing, are we? Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's, 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 a, it's a challenge because we need to, Christians, obviously, Catholics need to keep discussing and debating these issues in public as well as they can um, without thinking that it's going to be a battle of words only, and certainly without thinking that the victory is going to lie in that kind of, you know, in, in, in having the... the, the um, the you know the the definitive tweet that knocks somebody down no that's that's not going to be what changes things um what what really changes things as you said is living embodying the truth about man manhood womanhood marriage family um the beauty of offspring you know the the beauty of 
living a Christian family life in spite of all of its difficulties, right? Um, when when we can live that, embody it, exemplify it, um, it has an attractive power. Um, maybe not to everybody, maybe not to the most radicalized, but it you know if, if people are wondering why are those Catholic, those big Catholic families, why do they seem happier than, than other people? You know, why, why is it, you know, what's going on over there? It could at least, um, you know, plant seeds and, and open some eyes. Open but that's when you can, I think, and that's a great point, because that's when you can have the conversation, because people will see that happy family, that happy marriage, and then they're going to ask, well, how did you do it? And then that opens the door for conversation. But until they're ready to hear that and, and ask that question, mm-hmm. it does, to your mm-hmm. point, become very difficult to try to engage somebody who is that militant against what you're trying to do, right? Right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, we do have, we have ideologues and revolutionaries and fanatics. Um, I mean, you can see them all over the place now, the kind of people who, have have even just come right out and said, you know, I'll shoot somebody who disagrees with me, um, or that's what we should do. I mean, that that's that we are definitely living in a time where the idea of civic discourse and civic virtue is just being thrown out the window. I mean, mainly by the extreme liberals, but there are also some some crazies on the on the extreme right as well. Um, and you know, the they they seem to no longer even want to try to resolve things by discussion or by uh, comparing notes, so to speak. They would rather just settle scores with, with weapons or something. So, yeah, we, I mean, that is true. And I don't know, I don't know what to expect for the future. I mean, it could, it could become, it could become a very dark and grim time. It already is. Um, That still doesn't mean that we shouldn't hold high the light of Christ and the light of his truth. And of course that is, you know, it's all the more necessary uh, when darkness seems to be invading, to do that, right? Um, and that's what, you know, the Easter Vigil reminds us of every year, is the way that the light of Christ conquers the darkness. Well, I think it is a good point, right? We are we are to be a light, we are to share the truth, and people will decide for themselves whether they embrace it or they don't. And we're down to, you know, less than a minute to go, and I knew this conversation would go fast. But Dr. Kwasniewski, how how can people get your books and find out what you're up to? Sure. Uh, well, certainly this book, Treasuring the Goods of Marriage in a Throwaway Society, um, is available from Sophia Institute Press, the publisher, from their website, also from Amazon, all of its outlets, um, and other online places. Um, you know, I have a website, petergrozniewski.com, that people can, you know, can view and see what I'm, what I'm up to. Um, you know, if you know my work, you know I don't shy away from controversial things. So there's, there's a chapter in this book on modesty. There's a chapter on vigilance and the use of media. So there's a lot to think about here for, for all of us. Well, there is a lot of meat on the bone. And again, I really appreciate uh, you putting this together because it is, it is a light in the darkness that we all need. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.